We are excited to be learning now more about the Saxonbog. And John, you wanted to learn more about the winter phenology there. Tell us about our guest today. Well, we're going to be speaking with Clinton Dexter Neenhaus, and Clinton is the naturalist at the Saxonbog. And uh, Clinton and I were. Uh, scheduled for a uh, a meeting uh, and a discussion about winter phenology that Clinton was going to lead, and I was excited to learn more. And uh, it turns out that Clinton's car decided to take a vacation that day, and so uh, I ended up touring uh, Sac Zim on my own, had a nice time, but uh, I would have uh, profited from Clinton's observations more than you might imagine. Uh, Clinton, welcome. Good to hear, good to see you, uh, and uh, nice to have you with us this morning. Uh, maybe you yeah, could, great to be here. Maybe you could go a little further and sort of explain what your work life is there at Saxim, and then uh, and then let's uh, let's launch into some winter phenology. I'm excited to learn more. Yeah, sure thing. So um, yeah, so my my title is head naturalist, and and really what that means is. Um, I get to do education and outreach, and I also get to do, um, you know, traditional naturalist things, going out and looking at stuff and documenting stuff and finding it and showing everybody it, um, which is a really cool thing. Uh, the Saxon Bog is a really amazing ecosystem and set of ecosystems, and so I really don't get bored. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the winter or the summer, bug season or not, like there's a, there's a lot going on. Um, part of Part of the fun of an area that's, you know, from anywhere between 147,000 acres, if you look at the important bird area, uh, to over 500,000 acres, if you look at the entire ecosystem that we consider, uh, we've we've documented just shy of 3,600 species now. So we're we're creeping up above 3,500 species documented, um, which means there's a lot of clues to what's where, you know, we could look at trees, we can look at migration, we can look at phenology. And so... Um, part of part of this course, and again, the 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 excitement for me is that we we're in winter for a long time in northern Minnesota. Whether or not we believe it, we're here for a long time, uh, and so why not look at things, right? Why not understand what's going on and and the things that happen and change in the system? And um, yeah, I'm excited to dig in a little more this morning. Great, great. Maybe you could uh, just start off with a sort of a just an overview you've you've gone you've you've kind of skirted around the fringes there's a lot of area there what is it how what sort of a landscape is it and what makes it attractive to so many species yeah super question so when we think about the saxon bog or at least when i do um we're thinking about the basin of a glacial lake so we are in the basin of glacial lake upham which one is which is one of our smaller glacial lakes connected to the west to glacial lake aiken um both of those two lakes are responsible for a lot of the bog and sort of west central to southwestern st louis county and the northern parts of um like Itasca County and, and Aiken County. And there's, there, there's a little bit of a lot going on with bog in these areas. But uh, the Saxon bog is a collection of ecosystems. Certainly bog is important. And that's um, our goal organizationally is to to sort of extol the virtues of bog and all of that. Um, but, you know, we've got upland conifer forest because we've got glacial deposition. So we've got eskers that, you know, are all of that glacial till that we've got jack pine and white pine. Um, red pines, which are very, very different than black spruce and tamarack down in the lowlands and the peatlands. 
but then we've got, you know, human-made landscape, too. We've got people who have cows, which means you have prairie birds because you've got hay fields. Um, and so we've got lots of uh, a mosaic, if you will, of ecosystems. And that's really what kind of makes things attractive to just species diversity in general, right? If you have different habitats, you're going to have different specializations. Um, but even stuff like, you know, a ditch. What value is a ditch to a lot of things? Well, in the winter, it's a huge highway. Um, that's a lot of easy movement if you're a wolf or if you're a white-tailed deer or a mink or a river otter. Um, but in the summertime, man, look at all the dragonflies. Look at all the mosquitoes, right? Mosquitoes <laughs> are hugely important to a system like this. Um, and so, yeah, there's lots and lots and lots going on, uh, which is really exciting, right? It's exciting at any season. But, um, uh, but yeah, again, organizationally, we are a representative of a place. Um, so the Friends of Saxon Bog, who I work for, um, we're a nonprofit doing land preservation work in this ecosystem. Um, we're not the owners of the ecosystem, right? We don't own 500,000 acres. Um, we own just a just a shade over 4,200 right now. So it's a mix of land ownership, too. We've got lots and lots of county land, uh, land that we own, people who live there, right? There's people who live and farm and, you know, have been there for a long time um, in this area. So it's... Um, it, it, it's dynamic and diverse in all the ways, which is really exciting. Did did you have? Do you have problems with buy-in from your from your local landowners, or are they pretty excited to be a part of this wonderful ecosystem? Yeah, great question. Uh, I think that depends on who you talk to. <laughs> Just like anywhere, right? We've got right, people who are yeah. super excited. We've also got people who are not super excited. Yeah. Um, in some cases, I can definitely understand why. Um, but a lot of the folks sort of sit in the middle of just like, okay, yeah, we're fine. I mean, they're not really doing anything bad. They're, you know, some people think we're maybe not doing anything good, but, um, you know, we kind of sit in the middle there uh, most of the time, which is really great. I mean, it's it's part of when I started. So this is my ninth winter. So our busy season is December to March uh, when the Welcome Center is open. Um, and then we're open again June to August. But I have programming that runs year round. Um, and this is this is winter nine, so this is my ninth year, and um, I I'm really excited when local folks come. So folks who live in the bog or folks who live up on the Iron Range come. Um, you know, we're about 45 minutes or so northwest of Duluth, so we're kind of in the middle of nowhere between the range between Duluth. Um, but when those folks come, it's really exciting because they've been there, right? They they grew up in the bog, they grew up in these places. Um, but maybe they don't know about the weird little orchids that are there or the <laughs> cool flies that are zipping around the goldenrods, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's always kind of interesting and in, in, in who we might get and how that might change their perspective of this place or they might change their neighbor's perspective or something like that too, which is, is nice for me. We, we have some feedback from some of our listeners who live in that area that I don't think they dislike it, but they want to remind mm -hmm. people visiting, don't just stop in the middle of the road you know, oh, people okay. live here. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's part of, part of being an organization of places that, you know, this is, you know, not a place that we own necessarily, but it's a place that we care about. And so we want to make sure that when people are coming, they know that usually two or so times a year, we say, Hey, everybody just remember there's people here. Like, yeah. This is not just uh, you know, a state park or a national park or something like that. This, these are roads and people drive them. They go to work just like you and I do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those interesting things being in a place where we are kind of the face, but we're not necessarily 
the owners or the keepers of the space, right? And so it's it's a very interesting set of challenges, certainly. And and we definitely appreciate people's feedback because that lets us know that hey, people care that people are here and they know that this is an interesting time of year, especially in the winter. Um, summer maybe not nearly as busy, but you know when you're dealing with five to six thousand people coming through the welcome center in you know December to March. Yeah, that's pretty significant. That's a significant load on a place that typically doesn't have 6,000 people driving through every single day, you know? <laughs> Indeed. We're speaking with Clinton Dexter Neenhaus. He is the naturalist at the Sax Zim Bog. We receive support from Lake Country Power or Lake Country Journal, a local lifestyle magazine sharing stories about places to go, things to do, and people to know in Lake Country. More at lakecountryjournal.com. And uh, Clinton, you are one of the people to know in Lake Country for sure. And uh, we're getting to know a little bit about you this morning. Uh, so what did I miss on the winter phenology? Let's you and I just take a little walk. Where are we going? What are we seeing? Talk to me a little bit about uh, my winter phenology class. Totally. Yeah. So I I think, again, because we are in a place that has a lot of winter, um, it's worth knowing what's happening. and. Initially, with a class like this, I, I wanted to introduce people. I know that perhaps you and I have a pretty good understanding of things that are happening outside and what's moving around. But if, if you're just getting into it, um, it might not seem like anything's happening in the winter. Um, but there's so much, um, so much, so much, so much going on. So much that um, we can look at, but, you know, the critters know what's going on. So uh, my my big hope, at least with with part of this course, was to acknowledge that like indigenous communities have been doing this forever. Um, maybe phenology to uh, you know to European folks uh, might have been kind of popularized in the late 1800s, um, but indigenous communities have been doing this for thousands of years because that's often connected directly to your way of life, right? Um, so I grew up in in Dakota lands. I'm on Ojibwe lands now. Um, which means I get two very different perspectives perspectives of phenology, especially winter phenology. Um, you know, so growing up kind of on the edge of the plains versus being up in the woods, different things are happening. But um, if we look at how those communities did it, uh, it's moons, right? Moons are their calendar, how the moon cycles go. And oftentimes those moons have names that are directly related to phenology. Um, so the more and more you learn, and hopefully the more and more you learn, um, the more you get into it. Um, and, and at least uh, with me, there's a very interesting trend in names, if we look at names of moons, um, particularly relating to snow. Um, uh, the later seasons, so the later uh, winter moons, um, both in uh, Ojibwe language and in Dakota language, um, both relate to snow crust. Um, and Again, I don't think you and I look at snow crust as like mm, a very important marker of a season, but it's huge. If you look at the impacts uh, a thick snow crust has on um, even just birds, right? Um, we tend to see a connection between snow crust and barred owl. Um, so barred owls typically are nocturnal, right? We don't typically get those birds out during the day. Um but we do see barred owls during the day, especially later in the winter, late February and March. We start seeing barred owls because that snow crust, as noted by both the like our April, March, February moons in both of those uh, uh, calendars, um, that's exactly when we start seeing barred owls because they can't hunt. The, the snow crust is not something that they are adapted to hunt with. 
unlike great grays or something like that that are really well snow adapted um, and so there's a really fun connection if we look into just that level um, but you know because we have snow because we have this um, i also wanted to sort of think about well what does winter mean um, because winter isn't the same everywhere uh, in the northern hemisphere especially boreal forest winters very different than southern hemisphere winters um, both winter um, and so definitions right how do we define winter well it's not just snow and cold um, it's photo period um, a lot of animals are responsive to the sun and the changes in sun light especially um, whether it's breeding season whether it's triggering migration um, and so basically when we talk about winter we're, we're thinking of solstice to equinox that's winter kind of um, looking at moons and looking at the sunlight periods um, so if you like to think of this winter starting in like November, you know, around Thanksgiving, maybe winter's your starting point there. Um, eh, December 21st, that's when winter technically, right, technically with the big air quotes around it, technically starts. Um, and then that flops June 21st in the Southern Hemisphere. That's winter in the Southern Hemisphere. And so it's not always um, um, snowy. Most of the time it is. This year, maybe not so much. Um, but uh, typically we're dealing with cold. Uh, we're also typically dealing with dark in the northern hemisphere and if we look at um, phenology from indigenous perspectives further north um, oftentimes it's a really period of slow movement and just sort of um, uh, increased spirituality especially um, i in my in my talks i didn't put in any uh, uh, notes on sami folks but um, northern scandinavian folks uh, often are highly related to movements of reindeer so their whole calendars phenology based around the phenology of reindeer um, and, and in the winter they're not really doing a whole lot it's hard winter is hard um, but there are some things that happen and there are some exciting things happening right now especially um, i don't know if you've noticed it if you've been out and about um, but there are, are things happening. There are things happening in the bird world that happen right under our noses and we don't see them. Um, and, and I, I'm, I'm jumping ahead in my, my, my plan here, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it because um, I've been so excited lately. Um, one of the most important birds to watch, um, if you wanna think about winter phenology, uh, are ravens. Um, Ravens and great horned owls, both of those species are hugely important to winter calendars. If, if you want to follow along a season through the perspective of birds, um, those two are big, 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 especially for us. Um, great horned owls right now are on eggs. Uh, we don't think about that often. We don't think about, well, why in the world at 30 below in late January would you be sitting on a nest? Well, you're getting a head start. Um, especially large birds of prey take a long time to mature. Um, could be said for bald eagles, it could be said for great horned owl, harpy eagles, right, if you want to go to South, South America. Um, uh, but they're on eggs right now. Typically, if we scroll back to phenology and marking um, the season, right, the season for great horned owl, um, they start calling in December. Um, if, you, if you get outside in mid to late December, Typically, great horned owls are calling, and that's territorial mating calling. That's not just like, oh, I'm a young bird and I'm just hooting around. No, 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 no. That's that's business. Business is happening in December, um, and so we're we're already seeing great horned owls on eggs, which is absolutely a normal thing for us in January. Um, next group that we're going to see sitting on eggs, if it's not bald eagles, it's going to be ravens and Canada jays. Both of those species um, nest really, really early, um, and so. Marking phenology, one of the best things I can say, if you're in the Northwoods and you have ravens, go outside and look at them right now. 
um, because I bet you're going to see two Ravens. I don't think you're going to see individuals. You're going to see pair bonding going on right now. Paired flights, you're going to see birds doing barrel rolls in the sky. You might see birds carrying nesting material. Um, and in some cases, that's for show, right? There's young birds that carry sticks flying around, right? But right now, it's nesting season, which is super, super cool. Um, being in the boreal forest, especially um, another group that could be nesting right now that is pretty variable are crossbills. Crossbills routinely will nest in the wintertime um, because it's all about food. If they have food, boom, they're doing it. They're going to set up shop. They're going to nest. They're going to fledge chicks, and then they're going to keep moving. A um, lot of nomadic species in the boreal forest, um, whether they're wintering, so birds that are migrating from further north down to us, um, or birds that are just sticking around for the winter um, uh, and just kind of hanging out. Birds like chickadees that don't really go anywhere, but boy, chickadees are doing stuff right now too. If you get outside and watch chickadees, <laughs> lots of things happening with chickadees, lots of things happening with woodpeckers too, hairy woodpeckers especially right now. Um, if you, again, if you have feeders, right, you don't have to go out into the middle of the woods to find two ravens. You can do this from your backyard. You can watch what the hairy woodpeckers are doing right now. Um, a lot of resource guarding lately, um, which is a big step to their breeding too. Um, male hairy woodpeckers will start displaying usually, you know, at least up here sometime in late February to the beginning of March. Um, uh, really, we should call this March phenology because my goodness, things happen in March up here. But oh, if we just think about that. January, December... Great horned owls, we could look at ravens, um, maybe birds like rough-legged hawk. Um, I know this winter has been really weird with rough legs, um, but to me, that's another good indicator of season. Um, this is a, an Arctic breeding species that we only get occasionally staying all winter here. And so if you're watching rough legs, we might have them show up in October, but typically by November, their numbers start to go down. By December, there's very few around, and by January, there's basically none around. And then we turn the calendar to late February and March and we start seeing them uptick again. And so um, this is something we've seen on our raptor surveys. So we do a, a series of uh, winter raptor surveys in the Saxon bog. Um, and that's one of the big kind of takeaways that I wouldn't have considered is there is some really strong periodicity in phenology, even out of migrants, even out of birds like rough legs that don't breed anywhere close to us, um, but come through, um, which is super exciting. Clinton, it's been a pleasure. Uh, as usual, uh, time just flies yeah. when I'm yeah. when I'm in, <laughs> entertained to, and and yeah. Let's talk to him again. Can we have you back? Will you sure. join us again? We'd yes. love to have you. Yeah. yeah.